This is the O'Reilly Bots Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Scamaroff. Customer service is a key application for bots. Absolutely one of the first things you think of when you imagine how bots might revolutionize the way we work and do business. Usually we think about bots augmenting or replacing human customer service representatives. And a few weeks ago, we had a bot of the week segment about just that. In particular, a couple of bots at Macy's that could give you directions to the bathroom and at KLM, the Dutch airline, that could help you figure out your flight details and answer some basic questions. Today, we'll be talking with a couple of people who have bots that work in customer service a bit more widely defined. One of them intermediates in disputes that customers have with bigger companies, and the other helps groups of people manage their purchases through Slack. Stay tuned, and Pete and I will talk with the founders of Service and Kip. Now, yesterday was O'Reilly Bot Day, assuming you're listening to this episode the day it came out. Bot Day was October 19th, but you can still go to O'Reilly.com bots for information about O'Reilly's bot program and instructions for watching the Bot Day presentations online. Be sure to sign up for our mailing list, too, so that we can let you know when we do more cool bot stuff. All right, so we're here with Michael Schneider. He's the founder and CEO of Service, which is a startup that uses a conversational interface to uh, get sort of customer service issues resolved for consumers. Hey, Michael. Hey, great to be with you. So uh, explain just a little bit about what uh, Service does. Sure. If you've ever been stuck on hold or been transferred three times or not gotten a call back from a company trying to get an issue you have resolved, customer service issue, you're going to love service. Um, with service, you push a button. Our bot greets you and asks you things like, what company are you having an issue with? Uh, based on that company, it'll try to guess at the issue. And based on the issue, it'll try to guess at a resolution. It'll ask for backup. So let's say your flight was canceled or delayed. It'll ask for a copy of your itinerary. If you're having an issue with Amazon, it'll ask for a copy of your receipt, that kind of stuff. And then there are real humans here in our office that go about solving the issue for you. We turn away a quarter of the cases that come in because they're not fair to the business and people hmm. are just looking to get a free buck. But the three quarters that we take on are legit issues and we negotiate a fair resolution between the consumer and the business. Hmm. So it's a bot interface that kind of does the initial uh, information gathering and then it hands it off to a human. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't really make sense in 2016 to pay a human to gather information or to ask for supporting documentation. Um, so it basically tees it up for the human. Yeah, we had a, uh, a guest on in a previous podcast, Joshua Browder, who was working on um, a bot that helps you fight parking tickets. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Do Not Pay. And so I think trying service, it reminds me a little bit, there's a similar spirit to these bots or to these apps where it does some triage, but then in, in your case, like you actually have a human fill in the gaps of navigating through the, you know, the phone tree on the other side of the business. Is that right? Yeah. So I've talked to Joshua, by the way, and he's, a, I'm really impressed by him and nobody likes parking tickets. <laughs> um, we, we do do a lot of manual stuff as opposed to his bot that I think is completely automated. Mm -hmm. um, but having said that, uh, behind the scenes, we've been working on the next generation of our platform, and that will be entirely automated for anywhere between 5 to 25% of issues. It just depends on the company. Hmm. The goal is to get rid of low-hanging fruit issues 
issues that may be found in a company's FAQ or help center if you just have the patience to look for it, issues that may be in paragraph four on page nine of a document, but who's going to read it? Um, hmm. That's the kind of things that a bot can be very, very good at answering. A bot's never, well, never is a strong word, a bot's unlikely to be good at um, answering situations that involve life or death or are very urgent or are very emotionally sensitive. And those are the type of things that humans should be spending their time on as opposed to answering basic questions. So at the moment, what percentage of um, service requests are you able to handle without ever contacting a human at, you know, at the vendor, maybe by reading the FAQs and returning the answer or by just, you know, filing a, um, you know, an ordinary process using the company's website? Yeah, so we've been doing this for about a year, a little over a year. It's rare these days that we pick up the phone and call. Um, our software has mapped the quickest path to success for most large companies. Mm -hmm. And so let's say you had an airline issue. Um, it's very likely that we wouldn't call the airline, but that we would use their online web form and we have templates that fill it out quickly. So again, it's not fully automated, but it's pretty close. Um, we're also able to answer uh, questions very quickly based on our knowledge of common industries. Um, travel, retail, and telecom are our top three. So we've gotten mm -hmm. pretty knowledgeable in those three. Um, and those often don't involve contacting the company. How would you compare this to something like uh, Get Human? So Get Human, my understanding is um, it's more of like a, a boiler room call center approach. Uh, they literally, you type in what you need and a human goes and does it. Um, they're also charging you. We're free. So that's probably a more compelling thing for consumers. Um, but yeah, I mean, they also, because they don't have as much of a tech approach as we do, they can't do things like sync your email account and automatically help you if your flight's delayed or canceled or automatically find your Amazon receipt versus you having to sift through your email. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefits to the software approach versus just throwing manpower at it. So you mentioned free. Um, service is free. What is your business model? Our business model for service is to charge businesses to help them automate their own customer service. Hmm. And so that's what we're looking at today. There was a moment in time when I thought we might charge consumers and it just didn't feel right to me because if you already are having an issue with a business and you're pissed off, the last thing you want to mm -hmm. do is pay more money to resolve it. And also, um, I think businesses should pay because I think I can help improve their reputation and reduce their costs overall mm -hmm. um, by making intelligent use of software. So B2B seemed the way to go. Interesting. So you'll you'll eventually offer kind of a um, an API for the businesses um, here who have, you know, to, to accommodate customer service uh, requests and handle them. Something like that. Yeah, we, we are going to take everything we've learned over the last year and change working directly with uh, end users. And we're going to help businesses automate a good portion of their customer service using our software. So something like an API. Uh, another thing we talk a lot about on this podcast is uh, bot platforms. Your your bot from the consumer perspective is basically like a native bot, a native native app, uh, primarily probably on mobile, um, I'd guess. Uh, but on the business side, do businesses want to interface over? Slack? Uh, do they want to use an app? Do they want to talk over email? Like, how are you thinking about that? You mean, uh, how do businesses interface with us? Yeah, like, how do, how do they want to interface with you, do you think? It really depends on the business. I don't think we're connected. That's not true. We are connected to on someone's Slack, or maybe two companies' Slack. It's not hmm. common. Um, but most businesses don't want to go off the beaten path of their own customer service channels. Um, 
and and that makes sense. So my goal with the B2B product is to go within their own channels and not have them reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's less about what we've already done on the consumer side and more about taking an approach that doesn't make the business reinvent their call center or reinvent their processes, but almost acts like a shield in a good way where you're deflecting all of the common issues and their reps don't even have to waste time dealing with them. Okay, so it, it might be like bot in front and ticketing system in the back kind yeah, of thing? that's right. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about kind of how um, how the automation works inside a lot of these big companies and, and how you might, you know, start to be able to automate customer service uh, processes. Do, do any of the companies um, that you're working with or companies that you've come across basically have APIs already for customer service that maybe they let a handful of, you know, key partners tap into? Or is this just a completely benighted, you know, area? Yeah, I haven't come across one company that has an API for their customer service. And in <laughs> fact, I've been shocked by the level of manualness um, in some very large companies. Um, we've looked very closely at a couple of the major airlines. And I mean, it's basically a form to email that existed in 95. It's a little bit better, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not much. Um, I think newer age companies, like if uh, I'm sure everyone has heard of and or used Uber, Mm -hmm. If you have an issue with Uber, they actually have a lot of intelligence in their app to resolve it very, very quickly. Hmm. Um, so that would be an example of a company that's sort of taken taken the reins and apply technology themselves. But most companies aren't technology companies. And so they're interested in machine learning and AI and bots and all of this stuff, but they don't know where to start. They don't know how that impacts their existing channels. And uh, there's just a lot of confusion out there. But no, I have yet to see a API to tap in directly to someone's customer service. So in, in these integrations that you're planning, you would have to kind of go in and, and join up with, say, a Salesforce uh, system, you know, a ticketing system like Pete mentioned. Yeah, Salesforce, Zendesk, all of the common ticketing systems. Just out of curiosity, what sort of businesses are the ones that have you in their Slack channel with them? One is a travel company. It's not an airline. It's more like sort of like a travel agency. Early on, this is a cool story. Um, I got a, a note from a hotel owner. It was an American guy that owned a hotel in Peru and was very sensitive about bad TripAdvisor reviews. Hmm. It really hurt his business. It seems like it hurt his feelings too. And <laughs> he wanted to see what could be done about it. And so he contacted us and he basically said, with a copy of someone's bill, can I uh, put a postcard that says, if you have any issues, we've partnered with service to resolve the issue. Huh. And then they'll trust a third party more than they'll trust me. And then I'll work with you behind the scenes to make them happy. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty interesting approach. I think, um, you know, there is distrust. Like if someone's calling their cable company, I, I just had experiences the other day myself. And I'm saying my cable's out. I called in earlier to make a plan change. And now my cable's out. And they're like, no, you should call Apple. It's your router. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's too much of a coincidence. Uh -huh. I don't think people trust the answers they're given a lot of times from companies. And they should be able to do that. And so from a consumer point of view, I think it's really helpful and a business point of view to have a neutral third party that's looking out for both sides. So this hotel operator actually wanted you to use the service brand um, in place of yes. his. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, the hotel operator wanted us to use the service brand because he felt that people would be more trusting of a neutral third party and feel like the third party is on their side. He's also on their side, but sometimes when things go wrong, people just don't trust the business. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, that kind of fast intercession has been around for a long time. If you 
if you order something from a third party marketplace seller on Amazon or or from eBay, those vendors are very, very aggressive about making sure that they get feedback from you before you leave a negative review. And um, but there is kind of a hassling feeling that you sometimes get from them because they're so aggressive it. in doing it. I yeah. hate it. I mean, I use I order in my house, we order toothpaste on Amazon. I mean, everything. And I don't really care if it comes from a third party vendor or an Amazon warehouse. But mm -hmm. I know it comes from a third party vendor when I get these emails right. that are like poorly formatted. And it's like, we hope you loved your toothpaste. And it actually annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> so Michael, uh, so you're, you're, you're operating in the customer service space. And the things that come to mind um, as this like bot wave has been emerging, the natural question that every everybody jumps to is, well, what what sectors will we see bots in first? And it seems like customer service was the one that everybody jumped to initially. And so it does seem like there's a number of uh, bot startups going after customer service as a sector. Um, and then also with the launch of the Facebook platform, it seems like there's a, a bunch of brands leveraging bots either natively with their own app uh, to manage, manage uh, conversations with customers. Uh, or third-party bot platforms that will manage conversations with customers for you. So, like, where do you think you fit in? And like, are you are you thinking about Facebook and their platform as well? Yeah, I was at a chatbot dinner in San Francisco a couple weeks ago. There were like twenty-five people there, and we ran around the table. Everyone's doing different things. Someone had created a bot that replicated your personality, so you could talk huh. to you. Um, <laughs> and everyone was doing kind of interesting stuff, and nobody could agree on a single sector they thought bots would really work except for customer service, which mm -hmm. made me feel good and also made me feel like, is this bots thing really going to be huge if it's just customer service? Um, you know, people are trying commerce with bots. I don't know if I'm a huge believer. I like what Foursquare has done with MarsBot. That's pretty cool, um, where it's this bot that's kind of tracking your location and giving you proactive suggestions based on your history. Hmm. But, you know, in terms of Facebook, I think the power of Facebook is obviously the number of people on Facebook and using Messenger already. I wasn't impressed by the initial bots um, that they demoed. I don't need to get my news from a bot or ask the bot, what's the weather? Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of a platform, I mean, sure, we're very interested in, in Messenger, assuming brands care and consumers care about Messenger. Today, I still think Twitter is the de facto platform for customer service. And um, hmm. Twitter is now taking steps to make it easier to contact businesses. And they're trying to, I think, defend that turf against Facebook. And I think a lot of brands that I've talked to aren't on Facebook yet, but they are on Twitter. And so they're trying to kind of figure that out. It could shift one day and the dam could break and everyone could just kind of go to Facebook. Huh. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen it happen yet. Um, I think, and I, I don't think consumers are used to it. I mean, it's very convenient if I could I never want to pick up my phone to actually use the phone. I mean, if I could text a business, that's a really cool thing. It's um, especially with larger, smaller organizations, it's easier. Larger organizations, it gets more challenging for them to manage volume. Right. So is the fact that Twitter is kind of the default platform for customer service just due to the way that it's a public forum and um, customers feel like they can kind of shame companies into behaving because they're complaining in public? Or does it actually offer something more compelling? It's a, it's a great question. I think that Twitter is way too difficult to use for most people to use it every day. But I think they've nailed this niche of, I mean, it's it's like a chicken and egg. If you have the companies, the users, will, the consumers will go there or vice versa. And we've seen a lot of people that join Twitter and they only have 
one tweet and the tweet is to complain at a company. Um, <laughs> I've so seen a people, lot of accounts like that. Yeah. 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 So, so people think about that, right? They're going through the trouble of joining a service just to yell at a company yeah. when they could just call. Now, a lot of times they're just at messaging the company, which obviously if we, if you know how to use Twitter, no one sees that, um, let's mm -hmm. put a period in front of it. And so I don't know. I, I think that Twitter has just fallen into that niche. I don't know if they wanted that niche. They seem to be more interested in media and mm -hmm. broadcasting live sports and doing other stuff with their platform. But they are definitely the standard customer service platform in the world today. So are you building a Twitter bot as well then? Our technology is channel agnostic. Um, it will be able to answer DMs or tweets. It will be able to answer Facebook messages. It'll be able to answer, you know, you can hook it up to Slack, like, it's the technology of understanding what someone's saying and ingesting content to train itself and then be able to say the right answer is totally channel agnostic. Can I talk to service on Twitter right now? So if I complain to Comcast, uh, will you get involved in the conversation? Um, so we won't interfere. That's a core tenant. Uh, we want to be fair hmm. to the business. So if your tweet at Comcast and Comcast is tweeting you back and it seems like it's going somewhere productive, we won't interfere. If you tweet at Comcast and you they haven't answered you in 24 hours or maybe even in eight hours, we're likely to message you and say, hey, you know, we can help you solve your issue. Really? We also do something that's kind of cool with Twitter that I, I really love since a month and a half ago. When we resolve an issue in the app, it asks you if you want to share. If you share to Twitter, it doesn't just say, wow, this app service is great. You should use it. Like it used to say something like that. But now we make the company look good. So the tweet yesterday says something like, I had an issue with at Fly Frontier, but they made it right and made me a happy customer. Thanks huh. to at service for helping me out. And I love that because most companies just get yelled at all day on Twitter. And right. so it feels good when they do the right thing to be able to publicly acknowledge it and thank them and have them get a positive tweet for once. Let me just give you a shout out for what I think is a really clever discovery strategy that you've got. Because discovery is... is this gnawing problem in bots that everyone is just consumed with right now. Um, people are building bots because they recognize that consumers don't want to go to the app store and browse anymore. And in any case, that's always been broken. Um, so like, how do you get people to discover bots? So to reiterate, what you're doing is, first of all, you're soliciting potential consumer customers by looking for people who are having bad customer service experiences and you're popping up and saying, hey, I can help you with this. And then once it's over, you're um, creating sort of a positive social media message that's possibly even something that uh, that the company that's being contacted might want to retweet or might want to share or sort of uh, point to or surface somehow. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yes, that's right. We we are doing all of those things and we are sort of joint pitching other followers of that person to use us. And, it, you know, if the company sees that tr that kind of tweet enough, hopefully they're going to reach out and be like, what is the service thing and how do we work with you? So this idea of sort of discovery by a bot popping up at an appropriate moment and presenting itself and offering to help, this is something that uh, bot creators talk about from time to time. You know, it'd be great if you were in Facebook Messenger and you were saying to your friend, hey, I wish I could order some flowers. And then the 1-800-Flowers bot pops up somehow and says, I can do that for you. Um, but then you start to talk about this and, and the reaction is often like, oh, my God, that's the most annoying thing imaginable. Uh, if all of these services are kind of like contextually coming up in your conversations and and uh, offering themselves to you, so how it's do Clippy you Clippy 2.0? Yeah, that's right. As Sarah Goa put it, uh, it's it's the revenge of Clippy. So how do you, in designing that kind of interaction, how do you balance you know the need for discovery against uh, the the fact that it 
could be kind of annoying to pop into these conversations. So first of all, one of the most brilliant integrations I've seen in a long time is if you see on Facebook Messenger, okay, I'm going to order an Uber, a button pops up that says order Uber, uh -huh. um, which is awesome. And I think makes perfect sense and won't annoy a consumer because you just said, I'm going to go order an Uber. And now you don't even have to pull out your phone. Right. Or if you're on your phone, you can just tap a button. Um, the way we do it is we we started with air travel. And so we have this thing called Service Protect. It's also free. You connect your email. And with your permission, we get all of your purchase history. So all your receipts and your itineraries from your email and display it in a dashboard for you. So hmm. if you ever have an issue, you can tap. But one of the ways we're being proactive is if we monitor your flights. And if your flight is delayed for over two hours or canceled, we will automatically send you a message saying, sorry for the delay or sorry for the cancellation. We can help tap here. And we already huh. have all the itinerary. We know what you need. Um, and it, it's kind of, it's basically automatic. And so we started there. Um, there's other areas in your life as a consumer that probably make sense to help you out. Maybe you don't realize that your cable company just started charging you 20 bucks more a month, mm -hmm. or um, you don't realize that the price went down on a product you just bought. So, you know, you could keep expanding that. But the first incarnation of that, and a really powerful one, I think, if you travel a lot, is flight delays and cancellations. This uh, method, uh, when you mentioned popping up an Uber button in Facebook when you say you're going to order an Uber. Uh, this is a pattern that we're seeing quite a bit, and it may not be traditionally what people think of as bots, but it seems like Google is doing a lot of these things throughout their products, where uh, I just saw a tweet yesterday. Um, Isaac Hepworth said uh, that he created a two-word reminder for myself in Google Inbox. Pretty cool what Google added. Uh, and it added uh, a call to action to call uh, TiVo's number to cancel uh, <laughs> directly in his email and, uh, huh. and what time they were going to be open until and created a reminder. So, you know, for the, the consumer side, I mean, is that something you're thinking about? It seems like Google and Facebook and some of these other players are they're building platforms. Uh, Google just announced their own uh, assistant platform will be coming out. Uh, but then they're also encroaching into startup land with these kind of additions to their native products. How do you how do you think you'll fit in there? Well, I think that Facebook and Twitter and Google are all obviously much larger companies than service, but also they're building platforms, like you just said. Um, I don't view Facebook Messenger or Twitter or Intercom or any of these larger companies that provide a chat service or a place to build bots on top of as competitive at all, I see us integrating with any channel that the consumer wants to be in. Um, Intercom's done a great job and live person is sort of the, the original Intercom that's still around that um, is a live chat service and that's fine. Um, what I'd like to do is be an intelligence layer on top of that. So before you even get to the live person, we're filtering out, let's say a quarter of the issues because we can. Um, mm -hmm. so I think platforms are great. I think that using voice can be super powerful. We're playing around with Siri right now. Apple released a lot of new things that developers can do on Siri. So it'd be really cool to be like, Hey Siri, um, have service file uh, a case on United Airlines. My flight was delayed and you know, we, we can just do that. Or, or just um, have Siri listen for you to say, God damn it. And then it calls you. <laughs> <laughs> have Siri give you a massage when your flight's late. Yeah. You need yeah. therapy. <laughs> um, which, by the way, we, we joke about us being therapists for consumers, but I think one of, the, one of the least talked about things in customer service is empathy. 
and it's one of the most important things. And it's our number one core value is empathy at service. And we call our bot an empathetic bot. If you mm -hmm. file a case in the bot, right after you say what company you're having an issue with, you type in the company, it says, I'm sorry to hear that. And it sounds trite and it sounds simple and it is simple, but it really has an impact on people. And I'm convinced we're taking people who are seeing red and ready to throw their phone against the wall or, or hit somebody in the face because they're so upset at a company and calming them down a little bit so mm -hmm. they're actually able to communicate in a sane way and, and, uh, and resolve the issue. And right. so I think empathy is so important. And what everybody thinks about with bots is not empathy, it's intelligence and it's understanding and all of that's super important. But just being a little human and saying, I'm sorry, you're having trouble goes a long way. Yeah, it's just like the Emacs doctor um, that's uh, been around since the 80s, sort of just asks you uh, psychologist therapist questions and start yeah. to feel better. So in terms of what you'd really like to be able to do, are there any you know features or, or kind of approaches that you wish the big platforms and toolkits offered? We talk about this a lot, you know, in terms of what bot creators would really like from Facebook and, and Slack and, um, you know, iMessage and so on. Is there anything that's kind of holding you back in the in the current range of technology offerings? I don't think that the big providers are robust enough in letting us use their voice systems yet, hmm. like Siri or Google's Assistant now. They're really smart, and I would love to use that technology. Maybe they don't trust it enough to open it up fully. But like I was saying before, it'd be really cool to just file a service case using your voice. Um, Amazon's another one, of course, that's doing a lot with Alexa. I would love to be able to tap into those. The other thing in terms of discoverability, and this is where it gets, it could be a little creepy, is if you know, you're talking to a buddy and you're like, I'm so mad at Delta right now. They did this and that. If it came up and said, hey, want to file a service case, that probably crosses the line for most people in terms of utility versus privacy. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. But I think the discoverability, I mean, just like the App Store, you, you basically need to know someone at Apple or be super amazing um, to get featured. And if you're not featured, it's very, very difficult to, to stand out. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that the bot marketplace is going to become that. I think they could do interesting stuff around discoverability. Personally, I would let Facebook or Google monitor my texts or my chat. I really don't care if it means that they're going to give me truly amazing apps and bots that can actually make my life better. Yeah. Um, but that's a fine line for most people. Yeah, I, I was surprised with the uh, announcement of the kind of the new Siri access points that they really only created hooks for a handful of, you know, types of tasks. And they're similar to the ones that are available through Google now. They're like, you know, creating a calendar appointment. Um, I think there's a restaurant reservation one. There are probably only a dozen different hooks that you can get into. And, and it means that you can't really, as a developer, do something terribly creative with it. Yeah, I think it's very limited right now. It's probably limited for a reason. I think these companies don't have full confidence in their technology yet, but it'll change. It'll get there. One interesting new feature in um, Google Allo that I've been playing with is that you can both use your phone's native, you know, voice to text uh, transcription feature to type into it, or you can just send an audio snippet straight to, to someone else. And if you send the audio snippet to the kind of automated AI assistant, it transcribes it and understands it. So you can either, you know, hit the microphone button and have Siri transcribe it and say who won the World Series last year, or you send an audio clip to Google that says who won the World Series last year, and it reads that and answers it back for you. I've noticed a trend among my friends on Facebook Messenger that 
they're more and more using the voice note feature. Huh. So instead of typing back, they're recording something and then I just listen to it and I usually type back because I prefer that interface, but I've noticed that picking up steam. Interesting. I'm I'm so far behind. I still send email. That's I don't particularly I, enjoy getting instant messages from people. Yeah. I also still send email, but I do like um I love iMessage. I mean, the fact that I can create a group conversation in five seconds with ten people and everybody can see everything, or same with Facebook Messenger, of course, is yeah. uh, is really cool. Have you um, looked at any sort of group conversation uh, situations that service might get into? Well, we've looked at real life ones. I had a street team go to, uh, I think it was the Denver airport once. And when you think about group situations, like what is a group of people that would all need customer service? Well, uh-huh. if you're at an airport um, and the flight's delayed or a flight's canceled, then um, that would be a really good time to solicit them. And so we passed out uh, little cards and we uh, we tried to stay uh, really undercover because you're not supposed to solicit an airport. And But we would just look at the monitor and find a gate where people were waiting around, probably pissed off and go and talk to them. <laughs> um, so that's a real life group situation that um, is not replicable, of course, in, in tech that easily uh-huh. without working with the airline. Now, in Europe, an interesting thing has happened. I don't know if you've heard of AirHelp. Um, no, there's there's somebody that is um, doing quite well under a law called EU 261. So just really quick in the US airlines do not have to compensate you for delays, even if it's an insane delay, huh. unless it's um, there's certain um, guidelines set by the government. I think if you're waiting over four hours on the tarmac, if you're denied boarding um, involuntarily, those are different situations. But if you're really high frequent flyer status on an airline and you had a three hour delay, Legally, they do not have to do anything for you. Hmm. Now, realistically, they do often do something for you because they want to make you a happy customer. Europe's the reverse. Um, the airlines are legally required to compensate you for any delay starting, I think, at two hours, and it goes up from there, and it even sets the dollar amount. And uh-huh. so um, what AirHelp has done, it's um, very popular in Europe, and it's actually working with the airlines to process these EU-261 claims. Because the longer the airline doesn't pay, there's penalties for that. And so it actually works to the airline's benefit to pay out when something goes wrong um, compared to the U.S. Interesting. Um, so in other words, unless you work with the carrier or with the company directly, maybe a recall, like Samsung's issue with the Note 7 uh, recently would probably be another example um, where you you work with a group of people that are affected by something and they all need customer service right then. Mm-hmm. Um, and we certainly want to be in positions to do that. In fact, our learning system is incredibly adaptable. And if Samsung is a client in the future, and hopefully they don't have another recall, but if they did, they could program the bot in two seconds with if someone said my battery is exploding, you know, here's, here's what to right, do, or, right. or if I'm worried about my battery exploding. So yeah, I think it's a matter of, of finding those group situations and um, offering to help. And the real world ones, as applicable as they are at airports, just aren't that scalable. This is something we talk about a lot on the podcast is kind of how do you create group conversations? Only a handful of um, platforms allow you to have group conversations with bots in them. Slack, Slack's pretty much uh, the only one of the major ones, right, Pete? Yeah, but I would, I would argue there, um, group conversations with bots are few and far between. Um, and so I think it's, I think the Twitter use case is an interesting one because people are already talking in public and it's open to the whole internet. So we talked about Tay as a Twitter bot right. that went a little haywire, but in theory for 
if you can be in a tight community, if you're not trying to be like uh, a bot that talks to everybody in the world, but only people who care about flight delays or something, yeah. I, I could see Twitter self-organizing in a way that makes sense and where people understand what to expect from the bot. But I think in Slack, the challenge is the people's expectation is this is my team. And I think right now, at least most everybody they expect to talk to is a human and the bots interacting with a bot there. If it's misfiring, it's misfiring for possibly a very large group of people. Uh-huh. And all it takes is one to like smite the bot and, 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 and turn it off. So haven't really seen that take off yet in Slack. I, I think that there needs to be a safety net around bots, especially if it's using a platform like Twitter. That's a very um, hard line. You know, if somebody starts swearing at you, if somebody says the word rape or fire or heart attack or whatever, you know, really serious situations, you don't want a bot, no matter how empathetic or great it is, responding to those. Yeah. Um, and so that is something we've taken into account. And we've programmed our bot not only when to respond, but also when not to respond um, and alert a human. We're seeing this really interesting shift. I mean, that that is a circumstance where you would absolutely want a human in there. But mostly that's to sort of deal with any sort of AI corner cases where the where the AI might not be able to handle a real crisis. In in cases other than those, though, it, we're, we're seeing this interesting reversal where for so long, kind of robotic customer service was the bottom level customer service, right? It was like people hated getting sent to phone trees, um, talking with robotic agents. And it's the kind of service that, that you get if you are kind of the lowest level customer for a business, if you're a nobody for an airline or something. And people aspire to get to the level where they can get a human on the phone. Maybe you you become like, you know, a high level premier customer on an airline. And then and then this is a, a really, you know, vaunted kind of benefit of of that kind of uh, membership level. But now uh, you can imagine that pretty soon bot customer service representatives are just going to be a better experience all around than human customer service agents. And someone told me something interesting about United having a, a bot uh, service assistant only for their highest level customers, for global service customers. You would expect this to be introduced first for their lowest level customers, the people who are going to spend half an hour waiting on the phone to talk to an agent. But instead, they've introduced it to their customers who can get an agent on the phone immediately because these people are like even less willing to talk to a human than the the lowest level customers are. That's fascinating. I've done a lot of thinking about this and I'm the highest tier on American Airlines and I'm executive platinum and I can call an 800 number and most times just goes right to a human, which I like. Yeah. But I like even more not having a call. Right. And so if I can do it online, I'm going to do it online instead of calling. And I think at the end of the day, the reason why people hate phone trees is they ha- they don't have a lot of confidence that even at the end of it, A, it's going to understand what they're saying if they're speaking. Right. Or B, the person that eventually gets on after they wait five to however long minutes is actually going to resolve their problem. Mm-hmm. A bot is a very different user experience. You know right away if, if there's no lag. So you know right away if it's solving your problem and if it's not, you can ask to speak to a human and our bots are trained to know what to do to escalate it to a human. But that kind of experience, I think, will change people's perceptions. It's not the same as an IVR system. It's not the same as a phone tree, simply for the fact that there's zero waiting. And I think the biggest thing that's lacking in customer service today is a respect for consumers' time. That's literally the reason why I created service. I felt so (laughs) disrespected by companies who were probably trying very hard and spending many millions of dollars on call centers, but they were failing me. I was wasting time. And you never get that back, and no one ever compensates you for your 15 minutes on hold. But (laughs) 
So when you say, you know, this is different than IVRs and, and, you know, you're doing different AI, like what, can you say more about like the AI that you're, you're mentioning? Like what approaches are you using and what, what kind of uh, techniques are you using around AI? Sure. Well, I think the very nature of natural language processing is you're able to process real language, real sentences. So if you think about an IVR system, it's giving you choices and you have to choose what most fits you. The, the bot is completely inversed. It's listening to you in your words, how you want to phrase it, and then trying to help you based on that. So to any uh, normal consumer, that's going to just feel different, feel better. I don't have to listen to seven choices when I can just type my issue and just get straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, think, I just think the nature of it is completely different and much more respectful of people's time. In terms of the tech, though, are you are you using uh, like wit.ai? Are you like like how are you how are you wrangling that text if I you know type in a request to your your app? We're using a combination of uh, Open NLP and uh, search and a few other techniques. I don't think any one thing that we're using is incredibly proprietary, unique. I think the combination of them. And the way we're using them and the, the technology we built on top of that is the unique thing we, we're doing. Have you looked into any of the third-party AI services for natural language understanding? And like, what's your, what's your take on those right now? I, we have looked into them. We are not using them or, or we're using the portions that we need. But there was no third-party service that could give us exactly what we need. And customer service is a very specific use case. And within any specific company, it gets even more specific. Everyone has different rules and different content, et cetera. So we couldn't find, we didn't find anything off the shelf that perfectly met that use case. And even in bots, I guess an important point is if you get to 80%, that's not nearly good enough. Like people right. are so finicky and impatient. And so we opted to use what we could that's already created that's really good and then supplement that with our own stuff. Yeah, that's what something we hear from a lot of bot creators. It's just the out-of-the-box stuff works for coming up with a really bare prototype, but then soon you're mm-hmm. you know, building your own NLU. Yeah, that's true. And, and even Facebook's bot creation tools and, and other platforms, um, it's pretty basic stuff. Yeah. For, Google for- just acquired API.ai. Um, so there, there's, I mean, Google has their own, they released a natural language uh, API recently as well. So it, it feels like there, there's quite a bit of energy on these natural language services, both from startups and big players. But it's interesting. It's it, there was a survey, John. You, uh, there was a a survey for botanists, right? Yeah. And it, it that was one of those interesting results is that most people are not using uh, those platforms. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, we did the survey through the. Um botanist organization, which is kind of a, an industry group, we asked people what sort of messaging platforms they were using. The, the answers came back kind of what you would expect. Facebook, uh, you know, was the biggest one. Um, but then we asked people about their their bot frameworks and their NLU sort of platforms and services. And, and it was super fragmented. And a lot of people were building their own from scratch in both cases, but especially the, the AI, the, the NLU kind of side. People just, you know, felt like they could build an early prototype, but then yeah, you mentioned that customer service is a a special case, but actually, it's like as as you pointed a out, case. yeah, everything's a special <laughs> case. Customer service is gonna, actually quite popular. Yeah, I was just going to make that point. I mean, if you think about the web, technology has always tried to do this, right? They've always said 
this platform is new and if you use this platform instead of doing something completely custom you can save time and money and just use our stuff and in fact my last company mobile roadie um, which is still around today you can go to the website and create an ios or android app with no code in about five minutes uh-huh. um and it's pretty powerful but it can't do everything right and if you think about website creators you can create a website on squarespace in five minutes but the website won't necessarily you know be a booking engine if you're an airline so yeah, I mm-hmm. think if you're trying to solve complex problems in large organizations, it's very rare that something off the shelf um, using open source stuff is just going to work. I think you have to contextualize those services and augment them with your own stuff to make them really powerful. And so that's what we've done. So, Michael, it's been a pleasure. If people want to find you and want to find service um, online, where do they look? At service on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash service, at service on Instagram. Um, is where you can find the company. I'm at Schneider on Twitter. If anybody's out there that is a machine learning engineer and loves what we're doing and wants to come help, uh, we're hiring. And if anyone out there is a professional in a large company trying to figure out how they could better automate their customer service, I would love to talk to them. And I'm just Michael at GetService.com. Terrific. Thanks so much, Michael Schneider. Thank you. Now we move on to Bot of the Week. We're going to stay in the very broadly defined sort of area of customer service, but go towards something pretty different from service. We're going to talk with Rachel Law and Alex Baldwin. They're the co-founders of KIP. KIP is a bot that makes it easy for groups to make purchases through Slack, especially in the workplace. Welcome, Rachel and Alex. Good to have you on. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. So uh, describe for our listeners a little bit about what KIP does. So uh, KIP is an artificial intelligence penguin that helps you with your group shopping. So let's say you're shopping in the office for office supplies or you're shopping at home and trying to buy household goods. Um, It helps you collect orders from multiple people, put it into a shopping cart so that you can check out as one person instead of going around asking each individual person that you want. So it saves you time and frustration. So it kind of mediates a shopping conversation between multiple people. Yeah, like if you think about it, um, there's a lot of waitressing going on when you collect people's orders. You know, I have to ask you, like, what do you want? And then, like, do you want something else with that? And then later words are re-clarified with you, like, um, is this the correct item or did I get it wrong when I actually put it into the cart? So um, this kind of back and forth conversations that you have with people, um, a lot of times they're the same type of conversations because it's a standing order. So what we did was we automated the process. So instead of you going around asking 20 people the same thing, a bot can do that. Yeah, there's at least one person in the office that's always going around and doing all that waitressing. So what we do is we try to, at least in the office space, leverage and help that person to automate that that part of the job for them to make their lives easier. So how do you go about mediating that conversation? What like what devices do you have to use so that it's not just, um, you know, the bot equivalent of telephone? So uh, one of the ways that we do it is that we started, we build it directly into the product. Um, which is through the onboarding process. We understand that like the person who's like, let's say head of IT is not necessarily the same person who's like the receptionist or the front desk who's in charge of the shopping. So when you onboard Kip, the first question they'll ask is like, are you the main purchaser? Who's the main purchaser? And then like we'll redirect an onboarding process that's specific to how an administrator would use it versus someone who's, you know, just a member of the team. Right. So all the core interactions around the gathering collection and adding new team cart members is all centered in 
what we call the hub, which is the assistant of the team or the office. So they get most of this correspondence from Kip that are outside of just shopping related stuff. So as so we keep the burden of telephone and to talking to Kip to bare minimum for everyone else on the team and just uh, try to focus on what we, the hubs of the team for all those core communications. Yeah. Besides that, we've um, added a lot of design elements in order to make it easier for the person who's in charge of um, doing the orders um, so that they don't have to like, you know, there's this, there's always this criticism against bots is that it's kind of like using command line, right? You know, you have to memorize a whole ton of like instructions with slashes on them. And uh, what did someone say? It's like using Vim all over again, <laughs> which is true. Um, so that's the interesting thing about like buttons, you know, and that, you know, when we can identify who these key administrators are is that we can provide like individual experiences that's tailored for their needs so that it's true while everybody in the group has Kip, um, each of them interact with Kip in a slightly different way. And um, when you think about how like a group dynamics is set up and how like multiple people conversations appear, it's always like some kind of hierarchy. And we've actually tried to build for that. Yeah. yeah. And we've basically built for that through a lot of design research. So we have, we focus a lot on the user and talking to users directly to figure out what their needs are and what the main pain points are with uh, their current method of doing things as well as with the current version of Kip they're using. So we're constantly improving in that way. For instance, we added in the ability to collect items and orders on e email separate from Slack because we found out that in Teams, only half the team was on Slack and the, and the other half of the team was on email only. So then the assistant in the Slack team can add email addresses to Kip and then it will ping those people through email and ask them for what they, they need and they can easily correspond with Kip through email. It's a slightly different kind of interaction because of the email affordances and the way people usually use email. Uh, one of the things we're trying, I, I feel like right now with bots, there's a lot of search for intelligent life going on and people are trying to, I feel a bit like a bot anthropologist trying to study these and see, well, what use cases are working and which ones aren't. And so, so at our company, we did uh, like a hack day project early on where we made a food bot. And I think a lot of people have made these various food bots to like get tacos or order lunch for the office. And it feels like there's a, something a little similar in principle here where uh, for us, it almost trained us like Pavlov's dog where everybody wants food, right? And so at a certain time in the morning, like our bot will ping everybody on the team and say, hey, here's the menu for today. Here's what you want. And in our case, it orders from Sprig or Orderhead or something like that. Um, and in terms of repeat usage, it feels like there's nothing better than a timer or a schedule where something is coming up regularly. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to hear that pattern with some other startups like uh, Poly, which used to be subcurrent. And they do like, you know, regular check-ins on, you know, how, how do you how do you feel about working here and NPS and things like that? So would you put do you, do you feel like there's a regular period periodicity to what you're doing? Yeah. So um, in the office space for the, um, for more of the good purchasing orders, things on Amazon, the office assistants we said uh, we talked to said that a week they kind of do a weekly standing order. So that's the kind of default in the system right now is Kip will ping you weekly and ask, is there anything you want to add to the office? Do you want to do a collect command, which is to go around and ask each person what they need in the office? Um, people are also adding things to the team throughout the week, but this is kind of like 
last call, I'm doing a check, I'm doing an order before the end of the week. Do you need anything? Um, and that's what we're doing. It's kind of like weekly cycle for we are introducing food soon. And we're going to be doing more of a daily cycle there. But within the settings, KIP settings, um, in the Slack hub, you can change all those notification times. So we kind of do go for the default based on what most people say. And then of course, there's going to be edge cases for people want to change that kind of like recurring cycle time, we want to make that easy to do. The two things that are really interesting here that strike me as uh you know, the kind of thing that people are excited about bots for is um, this kind of persistent understanding of what your preferences are and how they're evolving over time. And then also the uh, the notifications, right? This is very powerful. Amazon.com can send you email, but it's not quite the same as sending you reminders to do things within the context of your usual sort of group communication platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kind of caveat to this like, kind of notification system is that if you think about it, everybody and your grandma is currently building a bot. If all of them are notification systems, you're going to get notification overload. And you really do get kind of this in most messaging platforms is that they ping you for every other thing. So I think what really matters is how you notify someone and whether there's like this consent going on where like you know this person a person can decide whether or not they want to be pinged we purposely designed our system so that like in the onboarding process there's the settings function where they can decide how often they want to be pinged and whether they want to be pinged on email or um through chat um and hmm. the second part of it is we only ping the key purchaser. Because if you think about it, in a team, there's individual members, let's say there's uh, 50 people working in your office. The real gatekeeper is the person who, you know, does the checkout at the end of each week. So they're the ones who actually want reminders. If we ping every single person in the 50-person team, it has no value for them because, you know, they are not in charge of the office purchases. They don't really care, you know. They work, to some degree, they work uh, in sync or like under or together with the main purchasing person with a credit card. So it doesn't make sense to ping these additional people. Right. We leave it up to the actual admin of the group, the team, to do that pinging to the, all the people in the group. And what we found out was that, well, this is something we found out, but it's also confirmed by our own Slack usage, is that um, half our Slack team is physically in the same office as us, and the other half is somewhere else in the world. So how do you manage only pinging the people that are in the office that you're in? Because it's for things like food delivery and for uh, Amazon delivery, it's all physical. It's all based on um, your physical location, but Slack doesn't provide physical location. So how do you get around that from a design perspective? And that's why we introduced the kind of member cart specification where we found out that a lot of Slack groups, Slack teams put people based on location in certain Slack channels. So like, for instance, there's you know, location NYC in an office means that all the people in the NYC office are in one channel. So now all you have to do is add that channel to your cart list. And then it just messages all the people in that list only, as well as any email addresses that you've also added. So that's how we kind of got around that because it's all based on location. So there's lots of different new kinds of design um, challenges that emerge because of bots. When you talk about the design challenges within bots, one of the things that's interesting about what the, the use case that you have is you're doing some pretty deep search around products 
within a chat interface. So it's been interesting to watch it evolve. Uh, and so when Slack launched their interactive message buttons, Kip was one of the first products to uh, roll that out. And you have kind of a nice uh, affordance of almost like a, a toolbar, which we've seen in some other bot platforms in the East. Uh, and so I, I'm curious, like your thoughts, like how is that working? And do we need to go beyond conversational text, do you think, uh, for, you know, for these products and bots to work? Your, your use case really depends on a lot of, uh, you know, rich feedback being returned to the, to the user. Buttons are definitely useful. I think like almost universally when we rolled out the, the interactive buttons, like they were picked up immediately. There was a huge spike in usage. The whole reason behind it is the idea of like, you know, cognitive overload. It's the, it's the people don't like to remember text. People are used to writing really short sentences. If you think about it, the most popular word like people use now is LOL, right? It's not even a real word, <laughs> you know? So um, this kind of truncated syntax, that's the official term for it, um, it's so popular that like buttons are just like the next evolution to this kind of like language. Yeah. Yeah. And to even go further on that concept, when, once we rolled out these buttons um, on Slack, for instance, the, you can, when you search for an item, you tap find cheaper. A lot of people before that didn't even know you could do that in the interface uh -huh. because sure, hmm. the text commands were there, but of course people weren't going to read them or remember them. Mm -hmm. So that's, we're starting to roll out some more of our, um, deeper um, search features as buttons, as like kind of buttons and submenus, just because we have like through some user testing realized that a lot of people didn't even know that some of the stuff was in the system unless yeah. you're a power user going through and testing everything. Yeah. So that's something that we, le we learned very, uh, and it, we're constantly improving that feature is like to make it much more, um, I would say, of a persistent UI interface because, you know, we've, you know, in the past 20 years of, of UI design, we've kind of advanced to that point. So it's like users expect something like that, where it's like a constant reminder of what you can do and what your affordances are in the system. And to spe specifically touch on the home button, I think that you were talking about before, where you, you can tap this little kip emoji and then it expands into like the overarching functions that are mostly for the admin. And those are because when we asked people that were our user testers, like, oh, how do you, you know, get to your settings menu? And they're like, what? There's because a settings menu? There's a settings menu, first of all. <laughs> and then second of all, it was, how do I get there? What do I, what, you mean I have to type something? I'm like, what? Why can't I just tap? Like, it just like, it was so automatic that we felt we had to like almost hack our own solution because there was nothing in Slack mm -hmm. to create a home button kind of system. And we've seen recently the latest Facebook Messenger platform now has a home button feature because they reached the same conclusion that we did is that people need some sort of grounding and some, because for the larger interaction in the system. You, you mentioned Facebook. So you're building on Slack, you're building on Facebook, uh, you're seeing them start to add features uh, that feel needed by the community. How would you compare and contrast these platforms uh, compared to like what we see in WeChat and, um, and what platforms are you building on? Yeah, so um, we are building, so we have officially, well, not officially, so we are technically uh, in the Facebook bot store, but we have not promoted it yet. And so that's what that's what we're doing on Facebook. And we're also rolling out for Skype soon. Um, and we are on Kick and Telegram, which we don't really support so much right now. Um, and, and then we have Slack. a web 
chat version that's just on a website, but it's actually pretty popular. We get like eight thousand conversations on that a week. It's wow. like, it's it's just it's just a web page with a chat screen. That's yeah. it. I wonder if you could just describe a little bit of the the thought process that went into founding Kip in the beginning. You know, and 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 especially where you saw bots coming in and providing value because Amazon's search mechanism is extraordinarily sophisticated already and, you know, does pretty well for itself. So how did you look at that buying process and see that there was an opportunity here and then it was an opportunity for a bot to add value? We had been at that point in our development process indexing and making uh, items inside physical stores searchable so you could search for things around you and then it would basically we were doing like lots of reverse engineering indexing of, of retailers uh-huh. and it was like lots of work and crazy um so which is why we moved to more online stores but we wanted to replicate the store same in-store experience where like let's say you have a shot like an assistant in a store who's like oh um do you have this item of button blue or do you have this one but like something in this size instead or like kind of like mm-hmm, this style mm-hmm. but this and there's nothing really online you can't type into amazon like oh but do you have it in this color or like you can't just like this brand like something similar but this instead and like that's a very common kind of thing that that happens when you're talking to someone irl so we wanted to explain it could start out sort of like a hackathon in a way we're like can we transfer the same in-store experience but into a bot like format and then we started to think about okay once we did that and people really responded very much to it we wanted to extend that to more of an application and like pain point kind of the idea of in-store sales with this idea of group shopping pain so rachel law and alex baldwin thank you so much for coming on the program if listeners want to find you uh, where should they look uh www.kip this.com so k-i-p-t-h-i-s.com excellent thank you so much uh it's a really cool product and pete and i have both enjoyed uh, getting to know it thank you for having us thank you thank you yeah thanks for joining us for another episode of the o'reilly bots podcast remember to sign up for o'reilly's ai newsletter by going to o'reilly.com slash bots and also take a look at how to watch the videos from the O'Reilly Bot Day program on that site as well. We'll see you next week. I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Scamaro. 